Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We pray that this message will inspire you and help you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out more about how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. Mom walked in to find that her son was still sleeping and it was almost time to go to church. So she shook him awake and said, you got to get up. It's Sunday. You got to go to church. And he rolled back over and said, I, I'm not going. I don't like them and they don't like me. And she said, you have got to get up and go to church. And he said, give me Two good reasons why I should get up and go to church. And she said, well, number one, you're 54 years old. And number two, you're the pastor. Thanks for laughing. Today, we are going to talk about the importance of church. And it is uh, interesting to me to know that Jesus describes the church not as a building, but a gathering of people together. You don't have to clap for that. It's just a paper doll chain. A gathering of people, to, <laughs> a gathering of people together that is called out by Jesus and then sent on mission. And we are stronger and better together, and Jesus Christ claims this for us. Now, if you take a coal out of your barbecue pit and set it to the side, it will quickly get cold and die. But if you take that coal back up and put it back in the pit with the other live living ember coals, it will heat back up. If you have coyotes in your yard, they will come after the animals that are isolated and alone and we'll eat them. The devil himself is described as a roaring lion, prowling around, waiting to devour someone. And God calls us to gather together in a community of believers to be strong and protected. I hope by the end of today that I can convince you of the importance and the value of the gathering of believers that we call church. Would you allow me to pray for us? God, I thank you so much that we have gotten together together today answering your call and command to come together and worship you and serve one another and build up the body toward maturity. God, I ask that you would take the scripture today and use that tool by the power of your Holy Spirit to transform us from the inside out Help us to understand, have our eyes open to what you have commanded us to do, but also the reason why you have commanded us to do it. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. I don't really know what your experience with church is. I don't know what your background is, and when you hear the word church, I'm not exactly sure what you think about. I know some of us grew up in a church where it was uh, was just You were supposed to go there on Sunday morning, you stand up, you sit down, you stand up, you sit down, you say a few words, and then you exit and you check it off your to-do list. You have gone to church, and therefore you must be a Christian. 
Some of us have gone to church and had a bad experience and had, had uh, an interaction with a person that ended up hurting our feelings or uh, made us feel bad or, or, or did something where we had a bad taste in our mouth about what church is when you hear that word. Some of us have had good experiences. I, I don't know what you think about church. I don't know if you think about it being boring or maybe irrelevant to your life. If you are, thanks for uh, doing what your mom said and coming to church today if you find it boring and irrelevant. I don't know, but I hope after looking at the scripture today that uh, the scripture, God will convince you using the scripture of the value and importance of church. Uh, Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to look today. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. If you want to turn in your Bibles to there, open up your Bibles on your app, or it'll be on the screen behind me. But we've been studying these habits, these rhythms that God has called us to be in that actually transform us. These habits of, of grace, maybe, these habits, I like to describe them as habits of, of, that Jesus has given us to spend time with him. The first habit we looked at was studying the scripture. This is the foundation for all our other habits. The Bible tells us what we are supposed to do, who we are supposed to be, and how we are supposed to live. It describes who God is. More importantly, though, we are able to find a relationship to Jesus through the scripture. I I encourage you to read it, but don't just read it. You can read it cover to cover and it won't change you. But if you read it looking for Jesus, looking for who he is telling you to be, what he's commanding you to do, and then you obey, you will be in a relationship with Jesus. You will be spending time with Jesus. This is the foundation of all our other habits. Then we, we want to continue to grow. We don't want to stunt our growth. We got to commit to community. Two are better than one. This is where we're going to have some growth and be held accountable and, and see, uh, have other people hold us to what the scripture says and us hold them to what scripture says. We've got to prioritize prayer. This is going to be our love language. We talk with God. He talks with us. And we have to seek solitude. This isn't being isolated or alone. This is seeking time alone with God. Not just being alone and isolated, but being alone with God. And then uh, today, we want to talk about how we need to choose the gathering. Choose church. This was a pattern that was already established by God and established by Jesus when the first church came along. Jesus in Luke chapter 4, verse 16, he went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He was going to a gathering of people. In Nehemiah chapter 8, after the Israelites came out of exile and they met for the first time at the temple, it is incredible what they did. So this is a thousand years before Jesus, what they did is they gathered all the people that came back, they built a platform, then they built a stand for the word of God, a podium, and then Ezra taught from the word of God to the large gathering of people, and then the elders went out to smaller groups of people and explained what was said from the stage. This is a thousand years before Jesus. This gathering, this type of gathering is not new but when the first church came along in Acts 2.42, this is 120 people started telling the gospel to Jerusalem and those who were gathered at the, at the time of Pentecost. And they started speaking in their languages and they were saying, what is going on? And Peter stood up and he gave the gospel message. This Jesus who God sent is your savior, you crucified him. And the people said, oh man, this, this really affects our heart. We 
we're saddened and grieved by this. What do we need to do? We believe what you're saying. We want to make it right. Peter said, you need to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people responded to that call to the gospel that day. And the church, the very first church, was that 120 plus that 3,000 on the very first day. And what did they do? What did they do? Well, they began to gather. They gathered in a large group and they gathered in small groups. Listen to how they responded to Jesus. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. See, the pattern had already been set up by God, but this pattern, this new gathering was a new rhythm and a new habit that was not like the old pattern. And the reason why it wasn't like the old pattern is because they were responding to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. They were responding to what Jesus was doing inside of them. And they couldn't help but gather together so that they can continue to work out what that meant for their life. When it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, what they were doing is they were saying, we know the good news of Jesus. Now, how do we work that out in a million and one ways in our daily life? How do we continue to train ourselves to be able to focus our attention on Jesus? And we have ample evidence that they, when that first church meeting, they were meeting every day, but after they scattered and went to other territories and other cities and begin to take the gospel, they begin to meet on the first day of the week on Sunday where they would do a large group gathering. And I think uh, this focus around Jesus, the focus on the apostles' teaching, trying to learn to live out the implication of Jesus' resurrection, I think they recognized that it takes a lifetime of training to get the world out of us and get the sin out of us and get Jesus into us. And so they needed that weekly repeated training. The, the, the The number one reason why we gather together is because, or today the number one reason why we choose church is because it trains us individually. We need this constant reminder and training that happens when we gather. When we gather, we see the gospel story. Nick is so good about starting our worship with this high view of who God is, and he creates this story arc that goes that we want to see every week, and pieces of it happen every week, who God is and then who we are compared to God. And so we have a time of verbal praise, a time of singing praise. He is our first audience when we gather. But we also have a time where we have confession, where we recognize we are not up to him. We have not lived up to the standards. We have fallen short of his glory. And we turn to Jesus Christ because he lived righteously where we couldn't. And that story happens in our singing. That story should happen in our sermons. And that story happens when we gather. We see the story of Jesus. We see this rhythm repeated that we need. We need this repeated rhythm every week for that training. We see it happen when we have a baptism. A baptism is the gospel message in miniature. 
Jesus Christ, he was alive, he lived righteously and obeyed God, and then he died for our sins. And when he died, he was buried three days, and after three days, he rose from the dead. When someone commits their life to Christ, they are alive in their sin, and, but they want to die to their sin, and they are buried into Jesus Christ. And the scripture says that when they come out of the water, they're raised by faith and a new life. New creation has happened. And it's the picture of the gospel that happens in the gathering of community. We celebrate as a gathering. We see the gospel in communion. When we gather together as the body of Christ, we get to, the scripture says, and I don't understand it, there's a mystery there. We actually participate in the body of Christ. When Jesus says, this is my body, and he presents the bread, and this is the cup of the new covenant, presents the cup, Paul says in 1 Corinthians that we participate in his body and in his blood. We do that in the gathering together when we come. We see this gospel presentation over and over again. And we're learning how to live out the implications of that in our life in in a thousand ways. And we need the training. We need the constant training because if we don't get the training, if we forget, if we move away from it, we begin to lose out. You know, if if you play a musical instrument and... (laughs) and you don't practice, you will lose the ability to play the instrument. I played the trumpet when I was in high school. I haven't touched it in over 20 years, and uh, I probably can't make a note on that musical instrument. If you play a sport, but you don't play very often, the first time you get back on the field, you're pretty rusty. Yesterday, we had a self-defense class for some of our safety team. There were three ladies that showed up, Beth Davis and Michelle Swearingen and and uh, Jennifer Swikert, you know, if you've never been trained in self-defense, you don't know what to do with your hands and feet, especially if you get attacked and your adrenaline's pumping and you're kind of panicking, you don't know what to do. So we have to train people how to use their hands and feet. And there's a process we take people through. We want people to start with uh, face hand shots right to the nose, right to the face, move to elbows, to the throat, grab whatever you can and knee like crazy, kick shins, Well, you have to train people to do that. If you don't have training, you don't know what to do with your hands and feet. You kind of panic. So we took our our ladies through the training, and and I I went to Beth. I said, Beth, what I want you to do is I want you to place your hand on my forehead, and I want you to push my head back like you were popping me in the face. She said, oh, I don't know if I can do that. I said, no, I'm trying to demonstrate how my head will snap back, and if you do that correctly, you'll bring tears to somebody's eyes. And, And she put her hand very gently on my forehead, and she just barely touched me. I said, no, no, it's gotta be like this. I put my hand on her forehead, and I shoved her a little bit. I didn't hurt her, but I made her head move back. So she put her hand on my head and pushed me back, and that was it, that was it. I went to Michelle Swearingen. I said, hey, I want you to do the same thing. And Michelle, she's never been trained. She's never had any um, martial arts training or self-defense training. She's all amped up and excited. And I said, I want you to put your hand on my forehead and push my head back. And, and she popped me right in the nose. You know, she really demonstrated how my head snapped back and how tears come to my eyes and how I don't want to be connected with her. And You know, if, if you get self-defense training once, you're going to kind of know a little bit about what you're going to do. But if you follow up that training every week, you start becoming more confident, you start becoming more self-aware, and you can walk around with relatively safe safe feeling based on your training. When we hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ, the gospel changes everything. When we hear 
that God who created all the universe and created you is not a distant God, he's not an aloof God, but a loving God who wants to interact with you, that changes us. And then when he reveals himself uniquely and perfectly through Jesus Christ and begins walking around among us, showing us exactly who he is, that changes us. And then when he shows you how valuable you are, that he's not going to leave you alone, that he is going to be with you, that you are so valuable he would die for you, that changes your identity, that changes your worldview, that changes how you view relationships, that changes how you view sex, that changes how you view money, that changes how you view you everything because the gospel changes everything and we need not just one time training on this new way to look at life but we need that constant weekly reminder so that we don't panic when we get in a situation where we have to live out the implications of the gospel so we know what to do with our hands and feet when we're in a stressful situation, learning from the gospel. When they were focusing on the devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, that first church, they said, we are gonna gather together, we're gonna do this consistently, we're gonna do this every week, we're gonna do this so much because we want this to get embedded into our life. And it takes a lifetime of training to be shaped by the gospel to become the person of Christ we are called to be. One of the reasons why we gather together is to train us individually. When you neglect the gathering, you endanger your training and you endanger, this is, this is even more significant than your physical safety, you endanger your soul. I'm not saying that if you don't go to church, you can't find salvation. I'm saying there's a reason why God called us to gather together. He gave us the pattern of doing it all the way in the Old Testament into the New. He gave us a reason to gather, gather around the person of Jesus Christ, the resurrected Jesus Christ, who is looking at us and training us, and we're looking at him and growing in our faith with him. There's a reason why he said we need to do that regularly. It trains us. Number two, it also trains us collectively. Look at what they did here. Verses 44 and 45, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. This is the biggest counter-cultural object lesson you could ever find from a church. You know, Western culture, Western society tells you, you are an individual, you belong to yourself, your money belongs to you, your life belongs to you, you get to make decisions about who you are, you get to decide even your own identity, even if it, if it moves off of sanity and what would be considered norm, it said, you know, you get to do it because you be you. Eastern traditional culture says, no, you don't get to decide your identity. Your family gets to decide your identity. Your, your uh, money belongs to your family. They help you decide who you're going to become and who you're going to be, and you belong to your family. Well, Western culture and Eastern culture is totally different than God culture. God says we belong to him. We're bought and paid for with a price. We no longer are concerned only with ourselves, but we don't concern what other people are telling us who we have to be. We are concerned with who God tells us to be. So we're concerned about others and we're concerned about who God says. This is a total counter, counter culture to anything that you're going to find in the world. Well, we need that training collectively to come together and do this. Now, I got to tell you, this is not communism. 
Listen again, you'll, you'll see communism, you'll say, whoa, this is communism. It's not. All the believers together had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Well, communism would say something like, everything belongs to everyone, and I have this mindset that whatever is yours is mine. No, this is, this is not communism. This is a life change to generosity because of the grace of Jesus Christ. God gave me his whole life so that I might live. Now I can't help but turn around and give my life to other people. God showed me so much love. I can't help but show love to other people. God knows everything about me yet keeps piling on grace. I can't help but give grace and forgiveness to other people. And so when I have something, I have possessions of my own, I want to love other people with share. Now, it's not me coming to your house and taking something that's yours. It's you coming to my house and seeing what I need so you can share with me. There's a huge difference between a life changed to be generous and being forced to give away everything that you have. This is counterculture. And when we gather together, we learn how to do this more and more. Talk about how to train your hands and feet how to worship. In the Old Testament, there was a word for worship that meant bow down to your Lord. And in the Old Testament, there was a temple place where God would manifest his presence and they physically could bow down to where God was revealing himself. In the New Testament, this word is only used really when Jesus is walking around on earth because they had Jesus who was in front of them that they could bow down to, literally bow down to our Lord and Savior. But when Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, they stopped using that word in the New Testament about bowing down and they started using different words to describe worship. Words about serving and loving and forgiving. And the scripture says we're to become a spiritual sacrifice. Now, a physical sacrifice is one time and done. A spiritual sacrifice is I sacrifice myself for others every single day, constantly being renewed by that gospel implication in my life, finding out new ways to love on other people in every way I live. Well, when we gather collectively, we're trained on how to serve one another. We're trained on how to use our gifts to help somebody else. We are trained, even if you don't feel like you have any gifts, even if you don't feel like you have any way to help somebody, we're trained to share our story. And you know, your story can help somebody. My story, my testimony is not powerful and earth-shaking. My testimony is I grew up going to church My earliest memory of church is in the nursery. I remember this because my grandpa gave me a toy drum and my parents didn't like it and they donated it to the nursery of the church. That's the only time I could ever see my drum. And then I remember my mom teaching preschool and I was in her class. I remember my dad being a deacon, serving at the church and being there when the doors opened. I remember when he became an elder and became one of the shepherds of the church. I grew up in the church. Now that's not a very strong, powerful testimony. And, you know, God didn't rescue me from a destructive situation, but, you know, he did rescue me from going down destructive paths. I had, I wasn't perfect. I had rebellious time in teenage years. I had rebellious time in college. I wasn't perfect, but it kept me from going down paths of destruction that were too terrible because I had that solid foundation of that church training collectively. 
It's not a powerful testimony, but it's a true, and I saw you leaning in because it's mine. You know, your testimony, it doesn't have to be powerful. It doesn't have to be a bright light. It doesn't have to be like you were saved in the, in the foxhole. It, your testimony is so powerful because it's yours. And if you share with others how God has changed you and how God is shaping you, you're going to be helping to train the gathering collective. That happens when we gather together. It is so important to continue to gather together to train collectively how to use your hands and feet, how to have a whole body worship. And then when we sing, there's a book called Rhythms of Grace by Mike Cosper. He said, you know, when we sing and we gather, we have three audiences. The first one is God and we sing praise to him. But the second one is the other church members around us. As we sing, we're encouraging, we're teaching, we're correcting, we're admonishing with our words. And that's exactly what Paul tells us to do. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. The singing is for God, but it's also for each other. We are training ourselves collectively when we gather. The most famous passage about this probably is from Hebrews. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. We are living in the end times. Jesus said when, when he ascended, this is the end times. Peter, Paul, James, John, they all said this is the end times. We're seeing that day approaching. We collectively gather together to encourage one another to have faithful endurance all the way to the end. All the way to the end. Whether the end finds you first and you go on ahead of us or the end comes and Jesus says, that's it. But we are encouraging each other, training each other collectively. And finally, we also, this is incredible to me, we are training the world when we gather Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. You know, when Peter stood up and he said, this is the Savior who you crucified, he was given a verbal witness. And we're all called to give a verbal witness. We're all called to be able to give an answer to anyone who asks us questions about the hope we have. But when we gather together, we're also giving a physical representation of the body of Christ as a witness, an action-oriented witness. When people saw the church gather, when they saw them love on one another, they said, whoa, what is that? And it was almost inexplicably attractive. When Peter and John were preaching and the Sanhedrin came and said, we don't want you to preach in the name of Jesus. And they had them whipped. They couldn't understand how Peter and John, who were unschooled, untrained, ordinary fishermen, were such powerful, clear communicators of the gospel. And the only thing they could figure out was that they had spent time with Jesus. When we gather together, we end up training the world because we give them something that they can't find anywhere else. They see something that they defies any of their expectations. When Moses was in the desert, before God called him to lead the Israelites out of Egypt, he saw a bush that was on fire burning, which isn't so strange in the desert. But what was strange was it defied his expectations. It didn't quit burning and it didn't burn up. And so he said, I need to see what that is. And he went over to it, and as he approached, a voice spoke from the flame, and it was the Lord God. 
The flame defied expectations. God's grace defies expectations. The gathering of community trains the world because it defies expectations. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, it said it looked like tongues of flame descended upon them because we're all supposed to be burning bushes. We're supposed to defy the expectations of the world to bring about change in how people see God and see us. We give them something they can't understand and more often than not, if we are faithful and true to the Lord and we teach truth in love and we are doing it with gentleness and grace, we will be inexplicably attractive to people. We're gonna train the world. Well, there's a, Illustration I heard where a teacher, he goes around to colleges and he interacts with skeptics a lot of times. And um, he gives the gospel presentation and answers questions. And at the end of one of his talks recently, he was approached by the head of the atheist committee, the head of the skeptics committee, and he said, I'm having trouble, sir, understanding and explaining you. And the teacher said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, I can't, I can't quite understand what, I think I figured it out, but I need your help. He said, you have conservative views, but you are liberal in your attitude, meaning you listen to people, you don't judge people, you're willing to take questions, you're interacting in a kind way. And he said, I think I figured it out. I think you are in a metamorphosis. I think I've caught you in the middle. Are you, I need to know, are you a conservative becoming a liberal, or are you a liberal becoming a conservative? And the man said, I'm, I'm neither of those things. He said, I am, I believe in the God of heaven who interacts with the world. And that's where absolute truth comes in. So I believe in absolute truth. And that's where you get those conservative values that you're seeing. But I also believe that I'm a sinner saved by grace. And that Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, he saved me out of his power, none of my own. And because he was, I was saved by what he did and not by my own power, he said that's inherently humbling. And so I can't ever consider myself better than someone. I can't ever judge anybody for who they are because I know how deep and dark my life is before I was forgiven. And so I have to listen. He said, I am not a conservative. Well, I'm a Christian. And the, atheist, the head of the atheist organization, he said, I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense. That can't be true. See, when we are following Christ, we are training the world. We're giving them something they can't define because we are standing for truth, but we're doing it in a gentle way and a loving way. We do have standards that don't move with the twisting of the wind and don't change with the changing of our culture, but we do it with grace and humility. And we are like burning bushes that they, they, we don't burn up and they can't understand it. We become, become inexplicably attractive. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, and he's talking about an orderly, comprehensive worship. When you gather together, he says in 1 Corinthians 14, he said, it, it can't be crazy, it can't be insane, it, it has to be orderly. It has to follow a pattern so that when unbelievers come into your worship, they would be able to see Christ. He's specifically talking about tongues. And he says, hey, listen, if you're going to speak in tongues, you better make sure you have an interpreter there. If you don't have an interpreter, then don't speak in tongues. Now, just as a side note, whether you believe in speaking in tongues or not, Paul is telling us you're in control of what the Spirit's doing in you by that phrase. And then he says, you need to make sure you have an orderly worship because when an unbeliever comes in, they're going to be convicted 
by the clarity of the gospel and fall down and worship the Lord. Listen to how he says it. If an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, then they are convicted of sin and brought under judgment by, by all as the secrets of their heart are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, explain, exclaiming, God is really among you. Paul tells us that when we worship together as a gathering and we do so in an orderly fashion that brings glory to God, we're also going to end up convicting others that Jesus is real and they will fall and worship him and know who God is. Uh, For years, I've had this internal debate on what the church is for and who it's for. And there's this big seeker-sensitive movement that is concerned about the unbeliever. And then there's the movement that says the church is only for believers. And I kind of lean on that way. And yet God says our third audience is not just him and it's not just each other. It is for the unbeliever. And we need to be very concerned about unbelievers being in our midst. Not that we necessarily design our worship and our gathering for the unbeliever, but we're so concerned about them that we want to lead them to Christ even if they come in among us and they should be coming in among us because we should be inviting them. And what they're going to see when they get here is they're going to see a gathering of believers that are completely defy their expectations and they have no way to process what they're seeing. They've never seen someone who is what looks like conservative values but is so liberal and, and inviting. See, we train ourselves individually we train each other collectively but we also are training the world when we gather we're making a huge difference just by gathering I I don't know if I convince you of the value and the importance of the gathering but I know it has changed my life and it is so valuable to me and I know the encouragement and the friendships that I have made with this family of believers has changed me exponentially. I would not be the same person I am today if it wasn't for this gathering of believers. I don't know if you find it valuable or not, but if you find it boring or irrelevant, I think you are missing what the point that God has called us together for. You know, this mark of maturity, there's a mark of maturity, there's a shift that happens. When you're a new believer, you begin asking yourself, how can I grow? What can the church give me to grow up? How can the church help me? And as you mature, there's a shift that happens where the believer stops saying, what can the church give me? But the believer starts saying, oh, how can I contribute to somebody else growing up? How can I help somebody else grow? That's a shift that happens for a mature believer in the gathering because they've been trained and they're training collectively and they recognize that it's not all about their selfishness anymore, but they become other-oriented. I don't know if you see the value in being other-oriented, but it can change your relationships, your life, the way you view the world, and it all happens with the gathering. So this is another habit that God has called us to do allows us to spend time with Jesus, allows us to spend time being trained and trains and begins to change us from the inside out to become more like Jesus Christ. We hope you have enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, talk to, or maybe you just want more information about our church, be sure to fill out a connect card so we can reach out and help you take your next best step. Thanks again for joining and we will see you back here next time.